Welcome to The Nest Show, the podcast that brings you insights into the crypto market, trading and investment experiences, and what we're looking forward to as we navigate the space together. Today, I'm joined by Kong in his first appearance on the show. Kong is a renowned derivatives trader and newly minted Nest Club team member. Today, we continue coverage of the COVID-19's ongoing impact on financial markets, as well as taking a look at nation-specific responses from the U.S. and Germany. We discuss the reaction of market-making Bitcoin miners and how certain business practices may leave them in a precarious position if Bitcoin prices remain at these recent low levels. And later on, we take a closer look at the dramatic decline of open interest on BitMEX, what it means to derivatives markets at large, and how to leverage market data to form winning exchange-specific strategies. Very little has been shared in open forums on some of the BitMEX trading secrets that Kong reveals, so especially if you're a derivatives trader. You will not want to miss today's episode of The Nest Show. Thank you for joining us and enjoy the ride. What The Nest Show is. This is a podcast brought to you by the Burb Nest community, an independent crypto and forex-centered trading community built to sharpen each other in capturing opportunities in the markets while protecting capital and positions along the way. What this is not, trading advice. We are not financial advisors, and you should not regard any information here or in The Nest Club as financial advice. You should always consult a licensed financial advisor before making any financial decisions. Welcome to The Nest Show. I am joined today by Kong, first-time guest. Kong, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing good. What about you, my friend? Doing very well, all things considered. And on today's episode, we will indeed try to consider all things. And folks, we want to start off by just saying that we hope that each and every one of our listeners are safe and sound out there, that your community is strong and safe, and that you are doing your part to keep it that way, which means social distancing and taking care not to infect or spread any kind of contagion to more vulnerable members of your community. I know that everybody's a little stir crazy, including myself. What about you, Kong? I'm actually feeling fine and in my natural habitat at the moment. Because this is perfect for me. I'm not getting disturbed by anyone. Nobody wants to visit me. I don't have to go anywhere. I just can solely focus on trading and doing my work. So I actually like this quarantine and isolation type of stuff. boy, that's the kind of refreshing attitude that we <laughs> like. We could use a little bit more levity. You have to see the positive side of this, of this isolation. We have so much to discuss today. Why don't we start it off with this bit of news brought to us by Coindesk and specifically put on my radar by our fundamental Captain David or Crypto Penguin. David reported on this article from Coindesk. It says, price drop cast pale over Bitcoin miners equipment upgrades. The takeaways from this were a potential danger from the long price suppression is that there's more potential for selling pressure from miners in order to liquidate their assets and make good on debt obligations. Spark Capital reported that mined assets have been pledged as collateral for loans that it took out to pay utility bills and expand operations. Now, the firm is betting that it will be able to sell the coins at a higher price later. And of course, right now that bet is in peril. But what goes side by side with that optionality is the risk of having their pledged collateral 
forced liquidated when Bitcoin's price tumbles more than 50% in two days. With major lenders enforcing an average 60-70% to 70% collateral rate, a borrower could face the imminent risk of their pledged Bitcoin being forced liquidated unless they choose to pledge additional assets. And that's even assuming that they borrowed when Bitcoin's prices were recently as high as $11,000. David summarizes this by saying that as of late, some miners have been borrowing money using BTC as collateral to pay for their bills, equipment, waiting for BTC to go higher before selling. But if Bitcoin's prices go too low, then they may be forced to liquidate and sell their BTC collateral to pay off those loans. Even though the BTC prices have stabilized into somewhat of a sideways market, just because we aren't dropping in price doesn't mean that there isn't mounting sell pressure in order for these big market makers to gain liquidity and meet these debt obligations. Kong, do you have anything to reply to on that? Yeah, I do. I do have a uh, little bit different view on the whole miner news and the minor sell-offs and it will and it has been for for a long time i've been arguing with people about this topic because a lot of people like to report these news and it's it's basically it's, it's so those those are beautiful panic news it gets your attention it's that beautiful clickbait that you get from that but if you think about it all do do all miners have to do the collateral against ptc about how many mining operations are we talking here? And then the question is, how many other mining operations are happily already mining in profit since years and years? And they don't have to be selling off their BTC to cover. They are, they, they are already prepared for these times, basically. So I think some new companies that are coming in, maybe some big companies that, that were mismanaged, those might might be having that um, might 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 have to go this route, but um, saying that all miners are going to be doing that, I don't think that this is the right approach. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, you have to definitely take it with a grain of salt and some balance. I can't pretend to know the generalized economic structure of most mining operations, but I would have to agree with you that, of course, you can't assume that the report of one operation center would be unanimous with all other operational structures. Expanding the conversation a little bit to greater legacy markets and just general buying confidence or buyer confidence in the marketplace. I'm speaking personally for my experience of Los Angeles and speaking with friends and family in, in other regions of the country as well, is that with markets having tumbled so uh, astronomically and you know, the Fed rejiggering its monetary policy as we go, you know, we just saw this $2 trillion stimulus package signed late last night. I think that what we're going to find is that even if it does provide for a momentary recovery in the markets, I think that even if these governmental stimulus have propped up uh, local businesses, small businesses, or even large corporations, what we're going to see from consumers is that they're going to be much more precious with their spending habits. We've all kind of awoken to the notion that the emperor is wearing no clothes and that this funny money machine is a little uncertain. The notion that we can all just get back to business as usual is a little bit naive and even more so an outright lie. I don't know. I, I think that it's it's a little bit more precarious than, uh, you know, Trump recently said to have people back in churches by Easter. I'll tell you what, I will not be attending that service. Kong, I understand you're in Germany. What's what's it like over there? How, how are you guys doing? Well, Germany is doing quite fine. Like 
we're we're in isolation. We do have uh, we basically are not supposed to be leaving the house, but this is not uh, not enforced by law yet. So we're we're fine on that side. But I think the 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 health institute here, especially in Germany, they were saying, and I agree with that, that this is not going to be a sprint. This this virus uh, this is going to be a marathon. The reason being is we there there is no real way to stop it until we get a really really big number of herd immunity, which is seventy to eighty percent of the population. And until then, we're going to be dealing with maybe sometimes smaller breakouts, maybe some major breakouts. Nobody knows about that. But back to the economic side, I would say as we were talking about the stimulus package. A lot of people mistake the stimulus package as a recovery package. And I would actually take it word by word and say it is an actual stimulus package, which is just stimulating the economy for a short period of time. But it's not guaranteed that the, that the economy is going to be recovering after this small stimulus. So I'd be, I, would, I would agree with what you said, that people are going to be more careful and... The, the idea that all of this is going to end super fast, that the, that the virus is going to be um, done by Easter and we're going to be able to, to, to live our lives normal as, as we were used to, I think this is, I agree with you on that fully, that it is kind of naive to think that. Yeah, Kong, I think we're on the same page there. And I want to bring in just a few facts here from the USA Today post on the recent unemployment spikes. The jobless claims smashed a record as U.S. deaths surged past 1,000. We have $1,200 stimulus checks on the way, possibly within the next three weeks or so. But the Labor Department has announced unemployment claims number for last week. The numbers are coming in and they're pretty astronomical. The current unemployment rate, uh, it's hard to define exactly, but you know, likely right now it's hovering around 30%, uh, somewhere between 30 and 35%. In the United States, uh, that's unheard of. I think that uh, it's very interesting to recall back to Elon Musk and a few others who were uh, on record in recent years to uh, suggest that the federal government and state governments look at a universal basic income as more and more automated services erode the demand for human labor. And what Corona has brought about is basically a case study for what a universal basic income would look like and how that would be implemented. So it is uh, phenomenal to see this kind of experiment play out over the course of just about a week. Very interesting to see a case study for universal basic income rolled out so quickly. I'm curious, across the EU, has there been any initiative for any kind of EU citizen relief like this? There, there, there is talks in Germany and, the, and in the EU for universal basic income, but... Uh, to be honest, we already have in Germany a very advanced um, social system, which means that whenever you're unemployed, you're getting money, you're getting a place to live at, you're basically getting provided that from, from the state. And it already is a like a small part of the universal basic income, but it's limited. And I think it will have to be when if countries are talking about universal basic income, it 
it will have to be limited because it doesn't make sense to give, I don't know, $1,500 per month to somebody who is already making $20,000 per month, in my opinion, but also giving $1,500 per month to, to children uh, we, who are not doing anything, who are not producing taxes, not, not doing anything for the economy is also not the best idea. There have to be limitations, and if it is really set out to work, they will have to be going case by case and doing real approvals and not just saying everybody's just going to get paid out a certain amount each month and that's it. Otherwise, as I said, it's going to be running into a dead end or just going to be totally unfair. Kong, I wanted to get your take on the latest drop in open interest that we've seen over at BitMEX. We spoke a little bit about this before the show. As someone who has traded BitMEX with great volume, what's your take on their recent uh, moves toward possible KYC or AML? And how do you feel like that will further erode their market share? So here's the thing with, the, with BitMEX volume and what's happening on there. I'm I'm not seeing market makers and big people leaving BitMEX just because it had some downtime or just because there was some fuckery going on with their servers. Uh, what I see was basically due to the drop. Obviously, we had pretty much fifty a fifty percent drop. So anyone without rebuying or averaging out uh, on a two x, maybe even on a one x position, would have been liquidated on that drop. So. It has been it has been a very interesting time. A lot of people got liquidated, a lot of people got stopped out, even a lot of big positions got stopped out for it, especially people who were buying or like entering at key levels like the yearly open and building positions since then had to had to exit out those positions. So this is this is also the same the same thing as we see in the stock market a little bit that Big people, market makers, a lot of hedge funds, their risk management, their risk management strategy in times like this is just simply to exit out out of all positions, reassess and then re-enter. And it doesn't matter what position it is or how how well or emotionally attached you are to it. You just exit it and you wait. You see what's happening and then you have to re-enter. Now about the KYC. As long as the KYC is not going to be limiting deposits, it's going to be fine. As long as the KYC or AML is not going to be limiting funds that are already on BitMEX, it's also going to be fine. Here's the tricky part about withdrawals. Now, on BitMEX, if you're trading big positions, there are ways how you can be transferring money on the order books between accounts. So basically you're you're trading against yourself and then more or less you know exactly what is gonna be happening. And so you have perfect losses on one account and perfect wins on the other account. So that is one way how to do it. And I know a lot of people, a lot of a lot of big people do it, especially for bringing BTC on different accounts without anyone seeing it. And um so it's always there. There are always workarounds, the same like Binance has workarounds, the same like all the other exchanges have workarounds. the The main the main thing is still, as long as the the major volume on Bitcoin stays on Bitmex, most of the big players are going to be staying on Bitmex. As soon as the major volume is going to be shifting to a different exchange, 
more and more big people are going to be shifting to those exchanges as well. But as of right now, BitMEX is still king in BTC volume. And at the moment, I'm not seeing that that change coming. Now, I'm curious from your knowledge of the inner workings of BitMEX, is there an old whales club, a quiet network of clandestine traders who are the market makers for BitMEX, where they talk behind the scenes to self-deal for big trades or to otherwise guide the markets in that case? Yeah, there... <laughs> It's it's a it's a, it's a tricky way to to answer because it's like it's a it's like a part of a you could you could compare it to like secret societies or or like a secret club more or less. I would say I know that there are multiple groups of that. There are a lot of groups or like a big group in South Korea that is trading amazing amounts on BitMix. I've seen their their positions of um, 100 million contracts, for example, and um, that, I, yeah, like it has not been faked or anything. I, I've seen that. I've seen them move the market. So uh, those they're they're definitely there, and they know exactly what 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 they're doing and how how to make the market move, how to manipulate. Almost anything that they need for for counter liquidity, anything that they need for basically to make money. The same, the same, the same thing was also on the on the huge XRP drop on Bitmax. That was that was not uh, not not a coincidence. That was well planned, and also I, I have to say it was well played by by the guys who did it. And this just simply should remind anyone on. On the market, and I have that, and I have that statement in my bio actually. That trading is a warfare. You, you're trading against anyone that you know, and basically everyone on the order books, every single dollar on the order books is trying to take your every single dollar. So a lot of people are just thinking, oh yeah, I'm just gonna go in Bitmax and gonna open a short or a long position, and everything is gonna be fine. No, you have a lot of people working straight against you. Are planning every single step before in in advance how to take your money and you have to be prepared for that and that's why risk management and certain strategies are just key in trading without those you you're just going right into that into that lion's nest basically and jumping around like a little sheep thinking nothing is going to happen. How do you go about identifying whale movement in order book activity? So the only the only way how you can do it is actually by looking at the volume. If you look at the orders on the order book and especially a lot of people and this is the reason why I'm not even why I'm not even bothered continuing on using trading light and I know a lot of people are going to be triggered by that, but just, ima just imagine this. You have now a group of people, let's say there are 10 people, and they know exactly that, I don't know, thousands, 10,000, maybe 2,000 people are using trading light. The group of people that have, I don't know, money for, of like, let's say, 5,000 5, Bitcoins on BitMix. What do you think they're going to be doing? If they know about trading light, they're definitely going to be manipulating trading light to whatever way they want to. You can put those orders there in trading light is going to see those orders and a lot of people are going to be like oh yeah that's a nice resistance or oh yeah that's a beautiful support let me put my stop loss there 
or let me put my buy orders there. The only thing that it does, it just provides counter liquidity for people who know how to use this platform correctly. I am, I'm always looking, looking at trading light and all, all of these charts where, wherever people are analyzing the order book, I'm looking at it. I'm just like, guys, if you knew what these people are actually doing, you wouldn't, you wouldn't even bother looking at trading light at all. The only thing that I can say, like if there is a buy or a sell ball in, in my experience, if it stays for more than 24 hours, it has to stay at the, at the, at the certain price level for more than 24 hours, at least it would be better if it stays there for like 72 hours and you have not a hidden order. Um, so it's basically on BitMEX, you have the possibility to hide your, your limit orders and um, you can display them as a number, whatever you wanted to. So you could have a 10 million buy order sitting at a certain level and you display it as zero contracts. Maybe you display it as just 1 million contracts. And this is also one way how to manipulate trading light. Trading light is gonna be seeing the, uh, the actual orders, not the hidden orders, because there's no way how for them to see the hidden orders. As soon as the hidden orders hit, you basically BitMEX engine buy, market buys for you at that price. So they are actually hidden. With your enthusiasm and, and familiarity for BitMEX, how do you compare that to Bybit? I have to admit that I tried out Bybit and I'm trading on Bybit and I'm trading on Bybit my miners' profits, um, but basically my Ethereum mining profits, all most of them go to, to a Bybit account just because of this simple and easy way for me to deposit them immediately there. Um, so I'm basically able to, to hedge them immediately without selling or doing whatever, whatever extra steps that I need to do. Now, about Bybit itself, yeah, they, not, they have a nice UI. They got they got nice marketing going on, especially Jules, Salsa Tequila, our our friend from Crypto Twitter. He got a lot of people onto Bybit, and that's that's a huge huge factor as well. Now, from a technical standpoint, Bybit, the volume, and I saw that I saw that in the in the very early days, and I asked them about it, and they were like, "No, no, we didn't we didn't do anything about that." But they have a volume engine going on. The volume on Bybit is not generic. They have an engine going on, and you, if you, if you look back on the charts, and especially if you look back on the Bybit internal charts, you should see the days whenever they upgraded or basically upped or doubled their their volume engine. And I asked them about it, and. They're like, no, no, we, we didn't do that. That's all generic volume. I'm like, guys, the volume is always consistent. You never have candles without any volume. You can't tell me that this is generic. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, it is generic. And I'm like, okay, well, that's it for me. So in that standpoint, Bybit, it seems to me like they do have a nice engine. They have nice internal algos running to to keep the volume there so it is a little bit easier for people um it's a little bit easier because of the wigs and you have counter liquidity uh, provided especially if you get stopped out or a lot of a lot of things that people were 
having trouble on BitMEX, for example. But in in my opinion, the 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 sometimes illiquid order books on BitMEX, these huge five to ten percent wicks on BitMEX, those I've been I've been saying that for a long time. These wicks are the money makers. They're not making most of the money on the normal candles. They're making most of the money of on the wicks. And you have to, after a while, you you get used to anticipating where the wicks are gonna go. You get used to seeing to what point the wick should or could go, and this is where you put orders. You basically make a grid of orders and a grid of TPs, and sometimes magically for basically this is the bonus of uh, the bonus for your persistence in trading. You whenever whenever you get that ten percent wick down and all your orders at the at the very bottom fill and then immediately shoots back up. This is your bonus for being persistent in trading and just following your your strategy. I can understand how a lot of people are complaining about these huge wicks on Bitmex, but in my eyes, these are money makers. And instead of complaining about that, people should learn how to make use of these wicks. I'm very curious about that note, Kong, just to give our listeners a little bit of a, uh, what time frame do you consistently see those wicks on? Is that like the five minute chart, the one hour chart? I mostly see them on the four hourly chart. Is like the four hourly chart wicks are the biggest money makers in my eyes. Obviously, as I am getting more back into one minute scalping on on the Bourbonist, those one minute uh, huge wicks are also amazing money makers because you basically um, and that that is the beauty of of one minute scalping. If you if you have your layout ready, if you have your key levels ready, and if you have your algo ready that that is basically supporting you whenever you should be flipping long or short, um, those key levels, those preset TPs, are are hitting consistently. And on Bybit, this was this was also a reason why on Bybit, I, why I left Bybit with my with my volume because I'm I've I've got missed on orders by, for example, on Ripple, on a beautiful short after like right before Ripple tumbled, I don't know, 20% in last summer. Um, I've got missed on my short order by 0.005 cents. So I was like, yeah, I was like, okay, you know what? And, and, that, and that was not the first time that something like this happened or like on Ethereum got missed by 0.1 and I was just like, on, on, on BitMEX, this failed. On BitMEX, this week would just, would, just, would just have gone way further. That was, that was one of these reasons that I'm, I'm already used to, that these, these weeks setting those orders and anticipating those, those weeks and that the higher volatility basically is so, so into, like, basically almost coded into me that, um, that I... I just, I just was not having the fun on on Bybit as I had on Bitmex. That's fascinating, man. I would love to hear more about this Bybit Bitmex comparison. 
It sounds like the difference between the two as well could come down to trading styles. BitMEX plays a little bit more aggressively, having much more extended wicks, perhaps due to the gearing of their liquidation engine or, or the way that they derive their index pricing, or even perhaps just the, the order book depth, you know, or the aggressive style of, of traders. Perhaps you know you have more over-leveraged traders on BitMEX, you know, creating more uh, cascading liquidations that would result in greater wicks. Yeah, it does seem that a lot of traders have gravitated toward Bybit to avoid those wicks, which from your perspective are the money making wicks. And from many other traders perspective could be the money losing wicks. Your orders get hit and their positions get stopped out. Interesting, like you said, to view it as a war. Sometimes uh, it just depends on what side of the battle line you're on. It's basically like you you could say these these wicks are a little bit like a small virus that is spreading where and basically these wicks are following the volume the more volume that you have the more wicks you're gonna have because as you said more people are there more people are stopping out more people are market buying more people are getting liquidated so that is one thing and i think it's gonna be coming to to buy bit as well i've seen bigger wicks on Bybit sometimes than on bitmix on on certain pairs i think on ethereum and we will have plenty more to discuss there but i do think you bring up some excellent and insightful points for users of both exchanges also one thing that i wanted to add right now where i lost my thought was that a lot of people misunderstand a certain thing in crypto crypto is still in a in a very uh, in a very wild west style a lot of people can do whatever they want to. It's unregulated, it's 24-7, it's everything. And then people expect it, though, to be as exact as, for example, Forex is. In Forex, you want to have those exact levels and they hit perfectly and your perfect structure works out perfectly and you have to do this and that. So you have to be very exact on Forex. In crypto, you, you can be a little bit more vague, and a lot of people have to understand that crypto is not um, it's not forex and it's not legacy markets. It is still the the wild wild west pretty much. And those those things those those attacks on people those weeks those those are gonna be happening. And following to an exchange with, which makes your life easier, which makes which makes you easier. I think it's. It it can be a deadly trap, because it just takes it just takes a big person or big group of people to slowly and surely be transferring more more and more funds to buy it, so none of the big monitors catch it, and then at some point on Bybit, something stupidly crazy like on like on Bitmax with the with the XRP week is going to be happening, so. People should 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 stay alert and not be in comfort just because they are on Bybit, because um, yeah, it's an unregulated it's an unregulated market, and in my eyes, it's still the the wild wild west in crypto. Too true, Kong. Too true, man. Well, listen, we've had a great episode here today. Where can our listeners reach you on Twitter? On Twitter, it's uh, slash KongBTC. Right on. Simple enough. Any other links you want to share? It's only Twitter slash Kong BTC and Twitch slash Kong Trading. 
There you go. And you do such a phenomenal job in the Nest Club. And uh, we're real happy to have you in there, man. Oh, I'm happy to be here. All right, folks, that about does it for us today on The Nest Show. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we will catch you next time. Later, Kong. I'd like to thank our listeners for joining this episode of The Nest Show. We invite you to connect with Kong on Twitter, and I can be reached at BenjaminT1717. If you've appreciated the depth and breadth of what you've heard with us today, subscribe to our podcast and find our landing page at thebirdnest.com. We have a vibrant Discord community, which acts as our central hub of operations, and we welcome you to join us at thebirdnest.com slash discord. We also offer an extensive free bulletin on emerging crypto market trends, exclusive undervalued gem reports, and in-depth technical and fundamental analysis at thebirdnest.com slash bulletin. We always appreciate engagement from our community, which of course means liking the video and subscribing to our page, where we insist on bringing you the highest quality content available. Also, we're happy to incorporate tips and topics from our listeners and encourage you to email us at thenestshow at theburbnest.com. This podcast is brought to you by The Burb Nest. Thank you and trade on.